What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 215 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with David McNeil from expatempire.com. David is an expat living in Porto, Portugal at the moment, who has taken his knowledge of living abroad in various countries such as Japan, Germany, now Portugal, and helping others achieve their goals of being an expat living abroad or just having a cool experience for a year or two in a country other than their own. David specializes really in three types of people. If you're a student and you want to go abroad for school or if you want to go teach English abroad, for example, if you want to go work abroad, say if you are looking to acquire a job in another country like Germany, like Japan. In fact, he wrote a book called Passport to Working in Japan, where he really helps those individuals understand what it takes to acquire a job in Japan, as well as the things that you should be thinking about prior to the move, because once you get there, even though the initial change might be filled with excitement, there is a normal routine that will start to follow. And he tries to prepare people for the reality of what does happen after you land and the dust settles and you start living there after six months, how you might feel. He also helps retirees, individuals who want to acquire retirement visas in different countries and figuring out the best location for them and where they might want to retire based on their income, their savings, and what kind of environment they want to retire in. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's a really cool dude. We had that connection with the love of just being an expatriate, the love of living abroad, soaking up so many different cultures, the culture of expatriates in each country that you reside. It was just a really fun conversation. I highly recommend you check him out at expatempire.com. And for those of you who want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a t-shirt. Or you can head over to patreon.com backslash misfits and rejects and give a monthly donation. Whatever you want, nothing is expected. I've added a new level of support. It's $25 donation will get you one free misfits and rejects t-shirt. So if that's something you're interested in, you can head over to patreon.com backslash misfits and rejects. That $25 a month monthly donation will get you one free misfits and rejects t-shirt. I want you to know I really appreciate you and all the support that you're willing to give. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with David McNeil from expatempire.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by David McNeil from expatempire.com. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I was excited to look over um, what you're doing because it's, it seems like you have a, a similar sort of affection and love for expatriates like I do. And I was really excited to kind of dive deep into that love of being an expatriate, the lifestyle and what you're getting from it. So maybe let's just start real quick with like, where are you located right now? Sure. Right now, I'm just outside of Porto, Portugal in a small beach town called Matosinhos. And you chose that because? <laughs> well, that's actually a great question. Uh, I was previously living in Berlin before this, and uh, I did come here for a job, but still I was very interested in being in Portugal, in Porto in particular. And then when we had the opportunity to kind of decide in the region, because it's still connected here uh, via metro, um, 
the, the job was here in Matosinhos. So if I could be close to the beach and close to the office, then I thought I was probably doing something right. And that's how I ended up here in this kind of small town, enjoying quite a different lifestyle than I was in Berlin. Yeah, it sounds like a huge contrast. I've been to Berlin, not where you're located right now, never even been to Portugal. But yeah, small beach town versus Berlin is, uh, is quite a contrast. And how long were you in Berlin for? I lived in Berlin for three years, almost exactly. So um, that was August of 2016 to, let's see, I guess a little bit over because we moved in November of 2019. So just over three years, um, which was great. I absolutely loved it there. It's a super awesome city. I'm sure, you know, your, your listeners, probably a lot of them have either visited or have interest in going there. It's a really cool place. It's growing a lot, tons of fun stuff going on. But I think after three years, my wife and I just sort of were ready for a little bit of something different and a change of pace. So I think we we went completely, yeah, from the big city kind of craziness and fun to, I mean, it's still super fun over here, but a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a different uh, pace of life and type of fun, I guess you can say, which is more, you know, enjoying um, the small parks, the small stores, uh, great little restaurants and, you know, walking on the beach more um, just to get back into that lifestyle. I was actually uh, kind of growing up in the LA area, I guess you could say, although I moved around a lot. And so being able to now go back to the beach and kind of reconnect with that part, which I feel like over the last years, I've not gone away from for any particular reason, but just going in the big cities that don't have a beach nearby it, you know, uh, I realized how much I missed that and also the warm weather and kind of all that comes with that. Whereas in Berlin, big city, um, lots of stuff going on, tons to explore, but at the same time, six months of gray, rain, cold, uh, that, that wore on us a little bit. Oh, I can relate completely. I like the energy and the juice I get from the, the cities, but I always need to ground myself in like the beach towns. Are, are you a soccer fan by chance? Uh, I have to admit, not so much. I mean, if if it's a if it's on the topic of sports, pretty much the the only one that I follow, which I follow quite closely, is UFC. Believe it or not, but pretty much all other sports somehow pass me over over the years. <laughs> Are you do you train like MMA or jujitsu or anything like that? No, I've thought about it before. When I was in high school, I did Aikido, which is definitely not MMA, but I guess that's the closest that I got in terms of just. Just doing that. I mean, I, I'm doing more just kind of at home workouts, especially in this situation right now. But no, it's um, it's one of those things. I also love going to concerts, so I really appreciate w- what people can do, and I can still enjoy that as a as an observer, as part of the crowd. Mm-hmm. But not being able to necessarily, um, you know, identify with exactly how hard it is because I haven't been through it myself. But yeah, as a fan, I still think it works pretty well. Are you a partier? I mean, like liking music, being in Berlin, I'm just like hearing beats yeah. in the background going, mm, 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 like, in, like, in, like an industrial like warehouse. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be to be completely honest, I thought when I was you know moving to Berlin, so um, well, it opens a whole separate part of the story. But I was before I was in Berlin, I was in Tokyo, and I thought as I was looking at Berlin because I had visited Berlin before, I thought it was a really cool city. I heard great stuff about it, and I had a really nice impression when I visited a few years prior. Uh, I had this idea that I would be, you know, going to Berlin, getting involved at least in some some way with the club scene and going, you know, somewhat frequently. And that was a big part of the draw, I guess, for, for a lot of people going there. And I kind of realized after arriving that I, I went a couple times, but I guess it just wasn't exactly 
I don't know. It didn't exactly connect with me in the way that I thought that I, I would or that I might and or hoped, I guess you could even say. Um, and I, I'm really more of like, yeah, concert kind of rock metal type fan. So I did, went to a ton of concerts and a lot of festivals when I was living in Berlin, went to a couple of clubs with friends, but I guess, you know, I, I had sort of the stars in my eyes about the idea of it, but in reality, when push came to shove and also the friends that I made there weren't as involved in that scene for the most part. So it sort of just didn't become as central to my life there as I thought might happen before I moved there. That makes sense. And you, you said you have a wife. So have you been traveling with her throughout your whole time as an expat? Did you meet her on the road? Is she American? So, um, yeah, a little complicated story, but try to keep it simple. So I was in Tokyo for two years. Then I moved to Berlin for three years. And while I was in Berlin, um, we actually met there. So she's Japanese, but she was also living in Germany. So yeah, Japanese citizen. We met in Germany. She's kind of, I always had this drive toward trying to live in Japan, which is what drove me to Tokyo in the first place. And she always had that about Germany. So it was funny that we, we met each other both in our non, you know, home countries. And I think that was really important for us because, you know, on both sides, we could see that we were comfortable outside of our well, comfort zone or our new comfort zone is more of the world as opposed to any one country. And so it set the tone for where we might, you know, be able to develop our relationship in the future. And so it was kind of soon after we started dating and getting more serious that we started talking about where it would be next for us. And that's where that initial idea and sort of conversation around Portugal came up. And it took some time, you know, after that first conversation, but we went there for let's see, for one week in October of 2018. And then very long story short, but ended up moving in November of 2019. So um, we haven't been married for too long, but I think just having that global perspective, that love of being expats outside of our comfort zone is really helpful for us. No doubt. How many, how many languages are you speaking these days? Yeah. So let's see, for me, um, you know, of course, English, I also speak Japanese fluently, didn't pick up so much German still working on my Portuguese. And for her, she speaks uh, naturally Japanese natively and then speaks English very well and speaks German probably a little bit better than her English, although now being away from Germany for a year and us using about 50-50 Japanese English, you know, maybe the, the scales are tipping a little bit more toward English. But yeah, definitely we're, you know, we're both making an effort now to learn some Portuguese, but yeah, around the house, it's about 50-50 Japanese-English, where I usually speak English, and then she'll respond or say something to me in Japanese. So kind of we go back to our comfort zone, but it's it's more comfortable because it's across two languages. That's so cool. I love, I love hearing <laughs> this kind of story. It's so unique and interesting. Has your uh, Have you been doing the same jobs around the world? Like, I know that you're in banking and you're in tech. Like, was that what you were doing in Japan as as you moved across the world? Yeah, so I started my career coming out of university in investment banking as an analyst. I did that for two and a half years, which first was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then I moved to the San Francisco office. And then I worked for about one year at a mobile and web gaming company in San Francisco. And there I had the opportunity to go to Beijing for three months to work at the Beijing office. So that was great. And um, came back, got laid off and thought, okay, I still want to go abroad. How can I get to Japan? Because that had been kind of the driving force in the back of my mind for a long time. I started studying Japanese when I was 12 and just kind of had this passion for it that I developed over the years. Um, so 
I used that sort of product management skill set that I had started developing in that job in San Francisco and just tried to rely on that to see what types of interesting jobs I could get abroad. So I was looking in Japan and in China. And basically, yeah, to, to get to the answer to your question is I really focused on trying to take either more of a marketing or product management approach at a lot of tech companies in terms of my career up until this point. So it's every time that I've moved, I've moved for a different company or for a different job. So I'll find a job in Japan, I'll find a job in Germany, I'll find a job here in Portugal. And that's what enables me to, to move and get my visa and get settled and, and just, you know, get the financial situation sorted here. Um, but it is in the same field, which is product management. I saw that on one of your blog posts talking about what seven different jobs you've been laid off, what, seven times or something like that? <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it's uh, three layoffs in seven years, but also I quit three companies. So pretty much six six jobs in seven years, which, I mean, it's not something that, you know, admittedly I'm proud of, but I'm also happy to bring to light and talk about because I think working in this startup world, uh, which I'm trying to move away from now, or rather to focus on my own <laughs> entrepreneurship as opposed to working for other people. It's um, it's a difficult place and, and volatile. I don't know. It's, it's sort of inherently unstable. And so, you know, some of those, as I mentioned, well, half of those I, I quit myself because I really didn't like what was going on at the company. I didn't see myself fitting there long term. And on the other hand, yeah, three times I was laid off from companies that I was enjoying or, you know, seemed to at least be going fine, but it was always for ultimately, you know, downsizing, headcount reduction, you know, budget cuts type reasons. And, um, you know, every time I kind of had to dust myself off, uh, you know, update my resume and see what else I could find. But I'm proud to, to be able to say that I believe I've turned all of those experiences as tough as it's been the last years in that respect into positive experiences for me, which you know, as changing companies, trying something different, maybe getting an increase in my title and obviously being able to move across countries as well. Yeah, I think you should be proud, man. I mean, this really paints a richer picture of your your life and like how you get to look back on your life and how you spent it, you know, like, I mean, no disrespect to anybody who stays in the nine to five at the same company for like 35 years or whatever they do normally. But I mean, it seems to fit your lifestyle, the fact that you're moving in and out of situations and and, and you like that, you know, that's kind of how you either subconsciously or consciously designed your life, which I totally respect. Yeah. Thank you. I I'm, I'm definitely proud of it. And it's something I'm, like I said, I'm happy to bring more to light because for a while it felt like I, it was something that I had to hide about myself. I mean, I, not necessarily something in the front of my um, forefront of my mind, but more just, I was afraid that I would put my resume in front of a new company that I was interested in and, the HR manager, whoever it would be, would be looking at it and saying, mm, this, you know, doesn't, it looks a little like all over the place. Why did he move companies so many times? So it was always kind of weighing me down from that perspective. But the, the truth is, I think it's important, which I get to a bit in that blog post. I think it's important for people to be open to the fact that this may happen in their lives. And the first time it happened to me was when I was in San Francisco after that, um, experience going to Beijing. And I thought, I actually told the company, please send me back. And for longer than three months this time. And then I got laid off shortly after that when there was a big restructuring. So you never know what's around the corner. So you have to appreciate what you have while you have it. And on, on the other side, you have to, like, once you have those experiences, you realize, and of course, let's say, you know, you find the next opportunity. 
um, which hopefully happens for everybody that goes through that, you can realize that it's not the end of the world. And that, you know, this last one, uh, last layoff, which happened about two months ago now, um, I could sort of see the writing on the wall. I could see that, you know, we were getting some negative signs from the HQ and so on about our budgets. And, you know, I was prepared for it, I guess. And when it actually happened, of course, it's still disappointing. Of course, it still hurts. But I knew that, okay, you know, I've done this before. I've been through this. So what's next for me? And I think that type of mentality just ultimately helped me to be successful in my career and in my life and definitely through my expat experiences moving to different countries as well. Yeah. So it sounds like you are going now full on into the entrepreneur side of yourself. Um, are you not right. employed at the moment? You're just going full, full on into expat empire? Yeah, that's right. So I can say that my, uh, you know, I did sort of evaluate kind of what else is going on here in Porto. Definitely want to stay here around in Portugal and hopefully in Porto area as well. So I, look, I looked around a little bit, um, evaluated a couple of opportunities, but ultimately decided that I do want to continue with Expat Empire full time. So I'm still like sort of at the early stages of growing the business. I've been doing it in the background as a side gig, let's say, or side project for two and a half years. So for me, it, it just made sense in terms of the timing. In fact, it was something I've been thinking about ever since making the move here to Porto, simply from the standpoint that even when I was in Berlin before that layoff happened, uh, because as you can see, yeah, that's happened to me quite a few times. Um, I was thinking maybe I can work remotely for that company here in Portugal. And then once, you know, once the opportunity strikes, I can move into doing expat empire full time and focusing on being an entrepreneur. So now that I, that, that didn't happen at that company, I got to Portugal with a different company and then I got laid off again, um, with the timing of that and just, the fact that it just kind of feels like now or never and the stars are aligning a bit. So I thought at least I would give, give myself at least one year, you know, 2021 to see kind of how things go and really invest in myself because I've always operated more from a place of a bit of fear, anxiety around not having a job or, you know, where's the next paycheck coming in. And I'm thankful and fortunate to have some savings through, you know, the work that I've done the last 10 years but um, yeah, I, I just want to give it a shot and it seems kind of like a good time and good opportunity. And I'm seeing some trends, of course, more people working remotely, more digital nomads, you know, not the best time for travel right now. We all know that, but I think it's a good time to work with people from the, the stages of the planning process and really from the very beginning and seeing how to help them through this process from start to finish and uh, hopefully ride that wave of just more entrepreneurs more remote working, more digital nomads, and of course, more people just moving abroad in general or retirees. So I think there's going to be a big movement and trend toward that in the next months. At least that's my hope. No, it's interesting. I'd love to hear more about it. Can you talk to me and the audience a little bit more about like what Expat Empire is, what you do, and why you think it's a, a niche that you can, I guess, take advantage of right now? Yeah, definitely. So it's Expat Empire, expatempire.com to check out more. But basically, I started it back in July of 2018 with the launch of the website, along with a book that I wrote called Passport to Working in Japan, of course, about my experiences working in Japan, because I couldn't find that book, <laughs> essentially that type of book or that type of resource or person really for trying to get to Japan when I had been focused on it for so many years. So I started with that. I thought that was a good thing to kind of launch with the website. And then shortly after that, I started adding other 
types of content. For example, the Expat Empire podcasts and blog posts. I also started a Porto meetup, the Expat Empire Porto meetup, um, which we have, we've had, I think, five events so far. You know, it's been a bit rocky with the last months, but hopefully continue that. But on top of all of that, and actually most importantly, has been starting to to get some clients for individualized consulting services to help people to make their moves abroad. So like I mentioned, starting really more from a planning standpoint. So which country would make sense for people to move to based on their situation, really looking at all the factors. Um, then, you know, just general best practices about moving abroad through some like a one hour consulting call, for example. Also looking through visa options for people in a more out of the box way, where of course, looking at if somebody wants to move to Italy, then how can we make that happen? But if, for example, they don't meet the requirements for a certain visa that would make sense for them, then maybe there's other options across Europe, but they could still spend a lot of time in Italy. So these types of things from a visa planning perspective. Then there's also international job search, helping people find jobs abroad, and uh, timeline planning, which is a step-by-step checklist that people can go through before, during, and after their moves to figure out what they need to do to get set up, well, to leave their home country and get set up in a new country. And I think, you know, all of that's basically driven from my experience being an expat in many countries over the last years. And of course, talking to potential customers, people that are interested in moving abroad and seeing what services would actually help them to get there. So that's really what I operated from. It was initially just putting up some consulting pages. Some people started reaching out and having those conversations, seeing what they really needed and developing services from that. It's cool. Let's talk, talk me through a few like best practices before you move abroad or for moving abroad. That was interesting. That caught my attention. Yeah, I think uh, based on my experience, naturally it depends on why people are wanting to move abroad or where they want to move to and their financial situation. There's a big difference between people who want to study versus work versus retire. So it comes from all of that. But I think it's really key to think about what your life is going to be like in that country. Because I know for me, when I always thought about Japan growing up, it was going to be this, you know, Tokyo, this great metropolis. Okay, I'm speaking Japanese, I'm having fun, I'm going to karaoke bars, doing this, that and the other. But then the more that you really think about it, and the more that you experience it personally, when you're there, you realize, oh, I'm, you know, working around the clock. Uh, I've got to, you know, make sure that my it's a good job for me that it fits me. Of course, the company fits me. Hopefully, it's a relatively stable position. Um, if that doesn't work out, what what would be next for me? What are my other options? And, um, y- you know, at the end of the day, like if you're not, you, you're, unless you're able to, you know, financially support yourself, then you are probably not going to be like sitting at a cafe or going out to bars like all the time. It's, it's going to be actually like the real day-to-day life. And so I think that's important for people to think through based on their situation and the types of roles and opportunities that they're looking for to make sure that it actually, that the life there will hopefully actually fit what they're, you know, intending or what they have in mind. Because um, I know a lot of people come in with very kind of great expectations, stars in their eyes, and the reality can be quite different from that. And uh, it's best to be honest with yourself up front and hopefully create the right expectations. So that would be, you know, one of my main initial things that I would probably tell somebody um, based on what they're looking at and what they want to do, if that makes sense. No, it does. It's come up quite a bit on the podcast with the experiences I've had around the world and the places that I've lived where you can, you can see that person coming into town all bright eyed and bushy tailed and 
they're going to make a you know this big change either for the town, the community, or this you know new lifestyle that they're giving up right. everything and they're just going to like live their passion, live their dreams, which I totally support. But I I totally agree with you that you really have to I think look at how things could potentially go in the various ways, and if you're not prepared for them to go south and sour, <laughs> then yeah, <laughs> you, you you haven't really done your your due diligence yet. One thing that I'd like to know is with the people that you're working with who are like looking to find jobs abroad mm -hmm. and, and wanting right. to go work abroad, like what's your success rate on that? Like say I want to move to yeah, Germany right now and get a job. Like could you say like guaranteed or you can I'll get you to Europe, but it might not be Germany? Yeah, I mean I really try to adapt my services and what I'm offering um to the specifics of the situation of the individual. But to answer more broadly, um you know, it's a lot of, for the job search in particular, it tends to be more of let's improve your CV, your resume, let's improve your cover letter, let's improve your LinkedIn profile. Here's, especially with Germany, because I have a lot of experience with that, although I try to do my best to help people moving, you know, kind of wherever they want to move to, is, um, uh, you know, here's the right resources. Of course, I open my network to them, you know, help create contacts. Uh, we can do mock interviews, things of that sort. So I wouldn't say that it's, you know, 100%, I'm going to get you a job, I'm going to get you that visa. And actually, more specifically, a lot of it is still um, kind of giving people the tools to be successful. And of course, working with them as much as I can to help them be successful. Um, but it's not like uh, necessarily connecting with this or that job service, or, um, you know, I have this uh, connection where they'll definitely take you. So I try to set expectations up front and make sure that what I can offer, sort of what I can guarantee in terms of the level of support that I can provide is in line with what the client's looking for as well. Do you think you'll ever come across or have you come across somebody and their CV where you just instantly know, like, you can't be of service to them? Like, I'm just thinking about myself, yeah. for example, where it's like, if I give you my CV, you'd be like, you don't have any real work experience because you've never really done anything in the corporate world. Like I have like surf camp experience in Nicaragua and I've worked at coffee shops. So like I can imagine right. my CV isn't what you're looking for. Yeah. And I think that's part of the feeling out process at the beginning too. So what I do offer is a free 30 minute consulting call up front. you know, just come on the website, expatempire.com. You can send me a quick email about what you're thinking about, what your goals are and plans are, and we can have that conversation and certainly during some of those conversations, it can quickly become clear that I probably can't help them to, you know, necessarily be successful in that situation. So if they don't, you know, have the money for an investor visa, they're not interested in starting a company to get an entrepreneur visa, they're, um, the, yeah, they don't necessarily have, you know, the university education, which many countries require, although it's not necessarily a hard and fast rule, but just a, a more of a rule of thumb. Um you know, that those conversations definitely try to have up front and set expectations. And as I mentioned, you know, I still think in those cases, maybe it's helpful with some of those services to be useful, but I take that feedback. Um, well, I give, I give the feedback of, you know, this is what I'm seeing or this is what I'm thinking. And then of course, get, um, get the opinion or, or the ultimate decision from the client as well. So it's definitely a two way street and we figure out what makes sense for both of us, but um, I certainly, yeah, I've certainly talked to people where maybe it didn't make sense or not at that time, but if I can even give some feedback as to, Hey, maybe try this or go in this direction. Maybe if you build some experience here, this would be good for your future career, especially trying to get abroad. Then I, then of course I do that. 
for me personally, one experience that I had that really helped shape my career so far is that I really tried very hard to get to Japan when I was in university, especially coming out of university, thinking whether I could try to get an internship in Japan or get my first full-time job just to, to go straight to Japan, because that was what I really had in the front of my mind. And I got to, uh, I basically went to this conference where they help Japanese and English speakers to be able to get jobs in Japan. Um, it was a conference called Boston Career Forum. So I went there for two years. And the second year that I went, uh, I got quite far in a couple of interview processes, but unfortunately did not get the job or the internship. But I got this great piece of feedback from one of the interviewers, which was, look, it's great that you're very interested in Japan. You speak Japanese. You know, we all really liked you. Unfortunately, we only had one spot. It's going to somebody else. But what I would recommend that you do is to start out in the U.S., get some experience, you know, build your career, get that U.S.-based expertise and yeah, experience, and then try to leverage that in a Japanese context. And so, you know, of course, I didn't have the opportunity to go straight to Japan, but I thought, okay, what can I do here coming out of university to get some good experience that then I might be able to take into Japan? And so it, it's certainly a longer, you know, process. It took a while, a few years um, a career change to be able to make that happen, but it was a great piece of advice. And so, you know, maybe that's useful to hear for some of your listeners. And of course, I try to share that type of insight with the people that I work with on a one-on-one -on -one basis as well. Where'd you go to university? I went to the university of Texas at Austin. So I spent four years there. Nice. What, what is your obsession with Japan? Do you think, what does that stem from? Do you have like <laughs> Japanese exchange students living with you when you grew up or what? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, it started for me, yeah, um, kind of hard to pin down, but it was definitely related to the anime, the, you know, the comics, the animation, the games. So I was definitely into that growing up in high school. But um, also, you know, there were a couple other factors as well. So like you mentioned, exchange students. So my, my dad had a really close experience relationship with an exchange student when he was in high school. And so he always told me about those stories. And in fact, we had some exchange students stay over uh, after I'd already studied, started studying Japanese. Um, so, you know, it was a multitude of, uh, of different factors and kind of it all just, it just, it just slowly but surely turned into a passion. And so that really drove me from when I was uh, started studying when I was 12. And then I went to Japan the first time when I was 17 and then uh, I went to, again, after the first year of college, um, where I was studying, also I was studying finance as well as Japanese. So I was able to, you know, continue my studies there in Texas. And then, um, yeah, it just sort of became this, this, you know, goal in my mind. And that's not the first place I ended up. And I think that's an important part of my story too, which is I had the opportunity to study abroad. And I was considering going to Japan, but it didn't work with the program that I was in. And Japan has quite a different school year. So I was looking at other options and I decided to go to the National University of Singapore. So I went there for one semester, had an amazing experience, made a lot of great friends. And what that four month you know, uh, experience showed me was that I was interested in being in a lot of places around the world, not just in one country, and I could be successful there. So that just opened my mind to other possibilities and even when I eventually got the opportunity to go to Japan, it wasn't me thinking this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I thought, let's see how this goes. Of course, I hope that it lasts a long time. Maybe it will. Maybe I'll retire here. But I still kind of had this more global perspective. And that was what was 
in the back of my mind as I was looking at, okay, maybe, you know, Japan actually won't be the long-term plan. And so where's next? And that's, you know, how I ended up deciding to go to Berlin, for example. Mm -hmm. Did the first time you touched down in Japan when you were 17, did it meet every expectation you had? What was that feeling like? <laughs> it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, I had been, you know, dreaming about it, reading about it for so many years. And actually it was a one month program doing some homestay, doing uh, lots of travel around Japan, also language studies. So it was kind of all of those things wrapped up in one. And I just remember coming back from that trip, of course, like, I mean, amazed, incredibly like breath, you know, taken away by how in incredible the experience was, but also, you know, a bit sad, of course, to be leaving and having that motivation, like, I'm going to go back. This is, you know, this is calling me. This is like better than I could have even dreamed. And, um, and, and you know, that was, that was what sort of led me into studying, continuing to study it in university and going back the, the summer after my freshman year. What do you enjoy so much about the culture? Um, hmm. I think, I think it's just, uh, probably simply put, because there's so many aspects to it, that it is the furthest you can kind of get from what you might be used to in a country like America culturally, but yet at the same time, still be in a very developed country in a very, very safe place. One of, one of the, if not the safest countries in the world. And so, you know, it's just, it's very different. You can experience all different types of you know, activities and sightseeing. There's so much to see inside of such a small country. It's kind of amazing. Um, and I think I was always a bit more on the listener side of things, as uh, you know, compared to being more sort of open and talkative. Obviously, in this case, I've got to talk a lot. But I think in terms of my personality, that kind of fit more. Um, just, uh, you know, maybe being slightly a bit more reserved, a bit more, you know, listening first before responding. And something about that kind of uh, worked with me there as well, which has also been helpful. Yeah. In my, my marriage and <laughs> my relationship. So now I'm, you know, I'm even closer to the Japanese culture that way. And I'm thankful to be able to have family in Japan, as we can say now. So there's a good reason for me to go back other than just to see the old sites, because, you know, I remember them from when I was 17. Yeah, you kind of won the golden ticket, you know, with your wife being Japanese. The only question I have is it sounds like she doesn't want to be in Japan. So <laughs> is, is that concerning yeah. to you? Because, I mean, she likes Europe. She always wanted to be in Germany, it sounded like. So, I mean, that's got to be a conversation that's come up a few times, I bet. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. So I think we're not necessarily writing off being in our home country sometime in the future. I mean, admittedly, I'm kind of that way about the U.S. as I think about it now, although that can naturally change in the next years. Who knows? Um, you never know what the future holds. But I think it's possible we could end up in Japan in the future, but also we um, still, as much as we love it, you know, we'll, we'll always be able to go back and enjoy it in terms of traveling and seeing her family and seeing the old sites and seeing new sites. For example, we really would like to go and visit uh, the city, I believe it's Kanazawa, where she, um, where my wife went to university. So I actually haven't been to that city. So there's definitely a lot more for us to see and some of the, uh, you know, many islands around Japan as well. So there's still plenty for us to do, but um, probably more from a maybe long-term travel perspective than necessarily moving there. I think our 
general long-term plan is to try to do six months here in Europe, you know, probably based here in Portugal, and six months around in and around Asia. Not necessarily just Japan, but that being part of it to see family, but also to be more in Southeast Asia as well. Yeah, can we jump back real quick to the um, – you are saying something about entrepreneur visas. Um, right. Is it as simple as like slapping up a website and incorporating in America and then you can get a <laughs> – an expat or ex, uh, entrepreneur visa? Like how do those work? Yeah. Um, it quite depends on the country. Um, so it's, it's hard to say in general, and obviously there can be other options as well. Like here in Portugal, you could do it that way, or you could also, uh, in terms of entrepreneur visa or investor visa, but you could also do it in terms of this, um, passive income visa as well. So, I mean, there's definitely different routes, but the entrepreneur visas tend to be, you know, investing X thousands amount into, into, you know, into your business probably. And, uh, also potentially having to hire local staff as well. I mean, it could be just between one and five people, you know, depends once again on the country. So it is a bit more of a complicated route than some others, but if you really want to be in a certain country and you're not looking to, to work for another company there and, you know, the other kind of options that might be available to you are not interesting or, yeah, otherwise unattractive and you do want to start a company and you, you really think that you'll be there long-term, then I think it can be a great route, but you probably do need those uh, finances up front to be able to make it work. Or, you know, maybe it's only a couple thousand to get started and get that visa, but then you have to show some meaningful progress to get it renewed in the next few years. So that can also be, you know, it can be a low barrier to entry, but you need to kind of prove your, that you're doing it and that you're making progress over the ensuing months and years. Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider giving up your U.S. citizenship for another country? Yeah, I've, I've thought about it, to be honest. Um, so my goal in the, let's say, the midterm is to get dual citizenship here in Portugal. So I'm really quite tired of dealing with visas and renewals, uh, at least as far as staying places long term. Naturally, you have to do that when you travel. So that's something that um, is quite you know, relatively easy to do here. So you need to be here for five years. Uh, so now they've changed the system such that the first visa you get is usually two years in length. It used to be one year. So it's two years and it renews for three years. So it used to be one year followed by two two-year renewals. So it's actually kind of easier to get to that five-year mark, at which point you can apply either for permanent residence or citizenship. And thankfully here you can also not like dual dual citizenship as opposed to in Germany where you have to uh, give up your original citizenship. So that's what my plan is in the kind of midterm. And we'll see what happens after that as far as renouncing the U.S. citizenship. It's something that I would definitely want to spend more time thinking about and make sure that I'm, you know, have a very low chance of regretting it because it does feel a bit like as long as I fill my, you know, complete my tax return every year as Americans have to, then I don't have to worry about too much more. And I don't want to have any issues going back into the U.S. to visit family and things like that. So I'm not sure if I'll take that route, but it's definitely something that I've thought about. And I am, you know, working toward my second citizenship right now. What are some pros to renouncing it? I mean, is there any aside from the tax implications? Yeah, I think that's the big one. Um, the tax, um, cause it also can be, I mean, you know, it's, it's a matter of also not 
paying state tax, but you can just be away for a while and not be not show any real associations with that state. For example, mm-hmm. when I moved away from California, um, I'm trying to think what else would be driving it. I mean, that's the main reason that I've heard. Obviously, you know, as American abroad, you can still vote. So I'm still part of the political process as much as I want to be or, or don't want to be. But um, so I wouldn't really have that say. I, I think the thing that would be a little bit strange in a way is I'm <laughs> on the one hand, I'm not so excited to tell people that I'm from the US because I really, you know, I've lived abroad since 2014. And so I feel like more of global citizen or whatever you want to call it, just that the US is where I was born and my family's there, but um, not many more kind of connections in my mind. Um, but on the other hand, to say, oh, I'm Portuguese somehow also feels a little bit uh, like if that was if that were the only citizenship that I had, I think somehow, despite how much I love living here and I think the people and, and everything here is amazing. I really love it so far. Um, somehow that would be a bit strange. And I think I'd need to get my Portuguese up quite a bit more to, <laughs> to feel comfortable in those shoes, if you know what I mean. No, I do. I interviewed um, Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist, and he's a young man. He gave up his citizenship like two years ago or something like that. Mm. And it struck me just as a you know, bold decision. But at the same time, I can relate to where he's coming from, just in the amount of time I've spent out of America. And I mean, this the American tax system sucks to be a part of, even when you don't yes. participate, you know, in the American system at all. Um, so I've considered it as well, but it's very, very far fetched for me. But we'll see. I don't know. Things change, like you said, in the future. Yeah. And I mean, naturally, it depends on how much indeed, how much income that you're making and what the tax implications are of renouncing, because that can be, I mean, if you're making substantial amount of money, that can definitely put a um, throw a wrench in your plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have to think, okay, if I'm renouncing, which I think is over $4,000 now, some 4,500 or something, I can't remember the exact number, but it's been increasing in the recent years, then how much do I really need to pay to do my taxes? I mean, to hire somebody to do my taxes, for example. Um, and, you know, if you just sort of do the math, as, as annoying as it is, and I guess another area as well is just thinking about if you're having any trouble with your finances abroad in terms of being able to keep foreign bank accounts because there's more and more reporting requirements. So, I mean, there are some other things to think about, but as long as you are making it work and you just have to deal with the annoyance of, you know, using, uh, well, to, to fill out your U.S. tax return, then, um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's worth thinking deeply about if that's something that you really want to do. I think on the surface at first, when I thought about it, I was like, yes, I definitely want to do that. (laughs) I'm sick of, you know, the IRS and doing my tax return. But on the other hand, if I really look at the pros and cons, I'm probably leaning more toward keeping it just, just sort of in case. And because at the end of the day, it's not such a huge deal. It's just, it's just a pain in the butt, but you know, you just kind of get used to it like you do with most things with living abroad. It's not going to be the easiest way to do something, but um, the, the benefits, at least in my opinion, definitely outweigh the cost. Mm-hmm. What do you like most about like expats, expat character, expat culture? Is there something that really draws you to that type of group of people? Yeah, I'd say, uh, I, I think it's more about actually the experiences, the great experiences I've had living abroad and just the way that it's developed me as a person and broadened my horizons, broadened my mind and going from, any one country or one city or one state as my world or my comfort zone to really feeling like the world is at least for the most part kind of within my comfort zone now. 
Um, and all of the great friendships that I've made, just all of, all of those pieces and how it's impacted and improved my life. I want to be able to bring that to other people that are really interested in it as well. And so, you know, there people move abroad for different reasons and, um, you know, you can kind of figure out maybe what those reasons are and, and the type of personality of the person. Once you're just beginning those conversations, even the first, you know, 30 minute free consulting call, for example, or people that come out to the Porto, you know, meetup group, for example. Um, so you can see if it sort of fits, uh, you, you know, if you can help that person and, um, you know, if you agree with sort of the values and, and what they're going for there. So I think those are the people that I find like where we have some commonalities on what we're looking for, why we're trying to do it, what our thinking is and all of that stuff to be able to figure out if it's, if it's the best fit for us to be able to work together. Um, but I, I just really, I was searching for somebody to be able to help me, like I mentioned, get to Japan. And that's also why I wrote the book at the beginning, uh, passport to working in Japan was to get that knowledge out there and to help other people that, are trying to find a way to get to Japan without just necessarily going down the English teaching route, which a lot of people do. Nothing wrong with it, absolutely. Um, but just I wanted to be able to bring my insights and advice and knowledge to the table for other people looking for stuff like that. So I think, you know, using that same mentality, how I can ultimately help other people to have these great experiences abroad um, and, and bring my experience to bear, I think is kind of a great thing for me to do and in line with where I see myself going from here. No, yeah, it's appreciated. And if maybe you could just talk to one audience member right now and, and give them a little words of wisdom, some inspiration, to maybe take that first step if they are thinking about trying to go work abroad, live abroad, or even just take that first trip. Was there is there anything you could say to them right now to help them get over that fear if they do have fear and apprehension? Yeah. Um, the way that I get over my fear and apprehension, and I'm not saying that this works for everybody, but I'll give my two cents is, uh, if I'm not sure which you know country I should go to or which which city or anything like that, of course you can do some research online. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I always just book my flight, <laughs> and it's hard to do in this particular situation at this time. But as things open up a bit more, and you know that you can get somewhere, uh, you know, pretty much for sure, I'd say if you're thinking about it, or you, you know, you have a week off of work, or hopefully longer, then um, if you're taking that first trip, then just you know, do your research, you know, make yourself comfortable as far as if, if you're concerned about safety, you know, maybe do a little research on that. I've definitely taken some trips sight unseen without much research to places that sound cool. And I got there and, you know, it was a little bit more on the dangerous side than I expected. But I think that happened, you know, that happens to all of us. And you can, of course, do your research there, but ultimately buy the ticket and then figure out the rest. And you don't have to make too many plans, you know, where are you going to stay the first night? Or of course you could book your full, you know, trip in terms of where you want to stay, but, you know, just soak up the site, soak up the city, see if you can jump on any free walking tours, um, you know, just get out there and see, also come at it. If you are thinking about something long-term, take that first trip or, you know, your second or third trip for a couple of weeks, if you can, and really see, you know, come at it with the mindset of, is this the place that I could see myself living that I could, you know, that I would be happy that I'd be comfortable. And if you think about it like that, as opposed to just, Hey, I'm a tourist, you know, I want to like go see this museum. Of course it's fun. And if you have time, go do that, but come at it from, you know, okay, let's look at the property prices. Let's see, you know, how, how things are here. Maybe I can see some places or, you know, this area of town, this neighborhood is really cool. I mean, that's the big thing you have to do when you actually move somewhere is figure out 
where you want to be living and what, you know, what sort of vibe and scene and um, everything that you want as far as where you're living. So do that, visualize yourself there. And if you can do that and, and figure out, hey, this is the spot for me. And I can visualize myself here having a, a real normal life and not just hanging out at the cafes and bars all day, unless you're able to do that with your financial situation, then I think you'll be putting yourself in a good position to have a successful move abroad. And I would just also say one other quick thing is that if it doesn't work out at that place, then know that there's the rest of the world as well. So don't feel like you have to make one choice and then you're stuck there for the rest of your life, um, good for better or worse. You know, you can always readjust adapt and move to a new place. And that's certainly what I've done in my, you know, in my time abroad so far. And that's actually rich, like enriching my experience. So that, that would kind of be what I would generally say. And I hope that's helpful to some people. That's great advice, David. Folks, check him out, expatempire.com, and uh, he'll give you that 30-minute consultation. Check him out. Thanks. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. Awesome, David. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Folks, check him out, expatempire.com. Also, check out his book, Passport to Working in Japan. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Remember, there's a new tier on Patreon. If you'd like to support Misfits and Rejects at a $25 a month donation, you'll get one free t-shirt upon that first donation. So thank you for all of you interested in participating in that. If you'd like to just go purchase a t-shirt, you can do that at misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. And if you're a first-time listener, please hit subscribe. If you like this episode, David and I sure would appreciate a share, a rating, a comment. Anything you can do always helps. And I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode, Monday morning, 9 a.m. as usual. Have a great week. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.